I pray this finds you having a blessed day in the Lord. Looking forward to getting into His Word today in the book of Judges, chapter 3. Um, we're going to be looking at verses 1 through 6. And um, I think this is going to be a good passage. Again, as I've stated many times, I think that there are many things that take place here in the book of Judges that we can make applicable uh, in our lives today. I think it's just, uh, as Paul said, um, uh, you know, the law in the Old Testament, it was a schoolmaster. We can learn a lot from it and be taught from it. Um, so we're going to read verses 1 through 6 of chapter 3 and just dive right on in. It says, These are the nations uh, the Lord left in order to test all those in Israel who had experienced none of the wars in Canaan. This was to teach the future generations of the Israelites how to fight in battle, especially those who had not fought before. These nations included the five rulers of the Philistines and all of the Canaanites, the Sidonians and the Hivites who lived in the Lebanese mountains from Mount Baal Hermon as far as the entrance to Hamath. The Lord left them to test Israel to determine if they would keep the Lord's commands he had given them and their fathers through Moses. But they settled among the Canaanites, the Hethites, the Amorites, the Perizzites, the Hivites, and the Jebusites. The Israelites took their daughters as wives for themselves, gave their own daughters to their sons, and worshipped their gods. So there's a few things that I want us to be able to look at, but the first one that I want to look at is one that oftentimes uh, both believers and non-believers struggle with, and that is this idea of the Lord testing Israel. And... This is an important, important thing for us to understand. There is a difference in testing and temptation. Temptation is something that comes from the enemy, Satan, that is to cause us to choose something other than God. Temptation is a lure to be able to cause us to pursue after sin. A test is similar to what we read in the book of James as a trial. And the purpose of that test is to determine what we're going to choose. This goes all the way back to the Garden of Eden. So many people um, have asked this question. Why did God put the tree of knowledge of good and evil in the Garden of Eden? Because the main thing... And the main reason we're going to get into about this idea of the test and is going to be our first real big topic that we're looking at here. And we've said this numerous times before. God does not want people forced to worship Him. God does not want people forced to love Him. And the nation of Israel, God had moved, God had blessed, and there were so many things that was taking place. But yet, the nation of Israel had become very complacent. They had come, become complacent um, because God had done so much and they had neglected to disciple. And what was happening is they were finding it easy to not really worship the Lord. And so the Lord was going to uh, give them this opportunity to really kind of draw them back in. That's the idea of a test is really to find out where our heart lies. Does our heart lie with Jesus and being able to worship Him and letting Him be our Lord? Or does our heart lie with more of the world 
but Jesus just being kind of our religious, um, uh, you could say, lucky charm in the sense of, okay, I'm going to pray, I'm going to use him when I need to. See, the Lord will never force anyone to serve him, and that included Israel. Just like with us today, God is not going to make someone get saved. Even though the nation of Israel was God's chosen people, God did not force them to serve him. God moved and blessed and fought for Israel numerous times, but he allowed them to make their own choices just the same way as us. You know, one of the things that I I see and I hear from people sometimes is, you know, why doesn't this person come to church more often? Or why doesn't this person seem more dedicated? And, you, you know, some variant of that question. And one of the things that that you almost want to just sit down and say is, listen, God is not going to make anyone serve him. God is not going to make anyone go to church. God's not going to make anyone um, do anything other than he's going to give them opportunities. You know, God will give us opportunities. He will put uh, these opportunities in front of us. But ultimately, we have to make that choice. And one of the things that, that we understand is that there are so many other choices that can take our mind, our eyes, and our hearts uh, off serving the Lord and off being obedient. Um, there's so many other things that um, cause us to um, pursue those rather than pursuing the Lord. See, because the nation of Israel was unwilling to drive out the sin. That's that's what we've been looking at leading up to uh, this passage in the book of Judges. They were unwilling to drive out the sin. They fell prey to that sin. See, it, it's one of those things. Um, growing up, we had this statement. If you hang around manure long enough, you're going to smell like it. And that's a very, you know, simple and maybe gross way of saying you're going to reflect through your actions, through um, every aspect of you, what you surround yourself with. And that's no different than with sin. Now, there's a lot of people who may take this to the extreme, and that is, you know what, I can't have any unsaved friends in my life. Well, that's not at all what what is being said here. Even Jesus would go eat with the sinners. And He did that because of the fact that that was a witnessing opportunity. However, the majority of your friends should not be unsaved people. The majority of the people that you go to for advice and counsel should not be unsaved people. The reason being is because the more we allow ourselves to, if you want to use this phrase, hang around sin, the more that we're going to become comfortable with it, the more that it's not going to bother us. You know, when you sit down and you look at things now, one of the things I think that is mind-blowing to me is how that sexuality is looked at as normal. When you get on your phone, um, I remember when I first started my account on Twitter, and... I was trying to figure out how to use it and everything. And then all of a sudden, I had all of these people that started following me. And I was like, what in the world? How in the world do they know to follow me? Uh, They don't even know me. And I began to click over and look and see what their name was. And what I discovered is it was women that were posing naked. 
And I was so horrified that I, I gave my wife my phone. And I said, listen, I said, I, I want you to know that I did not click on this because I wanted to look at it. I said, I was trying to figure out who these people were that was following me. And she looked on there and almost all of them initially were women who, of course, had no idea who they were that were their profile picture was of them naked or at least showing their chest. And she asked me the question. She said, how in the world are they able to get by with doing this? How come this is not censored or anything? And of course, I don't really know the answer to those questions. But it's no different whenever you get on other social media sites. There's so many things that are filtered and censored, but yet when it comes to nudity or sexuality or, you know, videos of um, grotesque, you know, uh, sexual things, these are some of the ones that have the most likes, they're the most viewed, they're the ones that pop up on your phone. And this stuff used to be what you would have to pay to be able to see. I know when I was growing up, that was the whole essence of it. I mean, there were certain things that you had to, you know, certain channels or whatever it was that you had to pay in order to be able to see stuff like this. Now it's, it's all over the place. Um, you can't even hardly find a show on Netflix uh, or any other um, of the, uh, if you do live streaming, that nudity and, you know, open um, debaucherous sex is all over the place. And the reason why I say that is because if you want to just be real honest about it, we're numb to that. It, it doesn't really bother us as much. Just like using um, coarse language. When it comes to movies and TV shows, we're just so used to the coarse language now that it doesn't bother us. Um, you used to have to stay up um, late at night to be able to get past the family hour, to be able to watch a show that had something that was either you know, a little bit more risque or had some language or whatever it may have been now, it's, it's absolutely all over the place. And again, we've, we've heard it so much that we've become complacent to it. Uh, these are two things or two examples that when we have allowed ourselves to just kind of be around this sin, we've become so complacent with it that it's just like, oh yeah, and you just keep, you may just keep scrolling. But I read a statistic one time before that really stopped me in my tracks. It said that, and, and, and this I don't know if this was just for men or for men and women too, because I don't know that people really realize, but women do struggle with pornography just as much as men. But the statistic I read is that all it takes is for you to look at a picture or an image for three seconds, and it can be burned into your memory. Three seconds. Now you think about when you're just kind of scrolling and a picture of uh, a woman in a very, you know, uh, risque outfit or nudity, whatever it may be. Three seconds is not a long time. And that image is burned into your mind. And when you realize that when you're scrolling through social media, how often some of these these pictures kind of uh, pop up, that should cause you to pause for just a minute. 
Because what it does is it causes you to become, your guard comes down, your barriers come down. And instead of you looking at that and saying, man, that's someone's daughter or, you know, that that's someone's, uh, you know, you sit down and you look at it and you dehumanize them. You look at them for uh, their body and not for the person that they are. And so what happens now is you begin to not only do that when you see that, but you do that out in public. And then if you're married, you often end up having that go into your marriage. And the same thing with language. These are things that the more we hang around them, the more we become, if you use this word, comfortable with them, the less that we're bothered by it. That's exactly what happened to the nation of Israel. The nation of Israel hung around these other nations and their debaucherous worship and their false gods so long that it no longer bothered them. They become comfortable with their styles of worship and they become comfortable with um, the, the temple prostitution and they become comfortable with the fact of being able to have idols set up in your house. They become comfortable with the idea of looking at it and saying, you know what, we would rather marry those Philistine women over there because, you know, they're more attractive than than our Israelite women and we don't care uh, about what gods they worship and we don't care about this stuff. All we care about is the, the lust of the eye and the lust of the flesh. And, and so these things started happening and before they knew it, they weren't discipling, as we talked about a couple chapters ago, they weren't discipling the, the generations below them. They weren't talking about God anymore. They were just trying to live their life to its fullest. And they didn't care what it cost them. They didn't care what was going on. The only thing they cared about was making sure that they fulfilled all the pleasures that they had. And the way that they saw that being done to, to the most fullest was being able to dwell amongst and within the sin. There's three things that I want us to be able to really draw from this text. And it's the idea of because they were unwilling to drive out the sin, they fell prey to it. And in verses 5 and 6, we see the problem of how that they fail. So in verses 5 and 6, it says, But they settled among the Canaanites, the Hethites, the Amorites, the Perizzites, the Hivites, and the Jebusites. And the Israelites took their daughters as wives for themselves, gave their own daughters to their sons, and worshipped their gods. So here's the three things that I think that we can draw out of this passage. The first one is, they settled in the area with and among sin. Sin no longer bothered them or convicted them. They no longer saw sin as sin. Now, that's a little bit of what I was talking about just a few minutes ago using the, uh, the examples that I used. But this takes it to another level because now not only do they not see, uh, or not only have they just dwelt among them, they're no longer convicted by the sin. See, one of the things that happens, let's just say, for instance, um, maybe using bad language. You may look at it and say, you know what, this is something I'm really struggling with. This is something that I'm trying to, to work on. But you just continue to do it over and over. The reason being is because you've got to the point to where you're so used to doing it and you're so used to just making that excuse that you're okay with it. You just be able, you're able to say, well, you know, I only do it whenever I'm frustrated or mad. I only do it whenever, you know, I hit my, my finger with a hammer or I only do it during this period of time. Well, the problem is you don't realize how often you actually use that language. You don't realize how often that you may be saying these things. And then you don't even realize who you're saying these things to. 
Are you seeing them around your children? Are you seeing them around people that you're trying to witness to? Are you seeing them around people once you uh, go to uh, th- that you've been trying to invite to church? I know my wife was talking to me, and she was telling me that she was uh, having a conversation with someone, and they were talking about a specific individual, and my wife made the comment. She said, "Yeah, they uh, they actually come to our church," and the person said, "Are you serious? They actually go to church." And what my wife found out was that the way that they lived their life, if you want to say this outside of church, does not show in any way, shape, form, or fashion that they would be someone you would expect that goes to church. And then, of course, you know, I told her, I said, that's one of the things that bothers me so bad is you got these people that live... In this kind of life to where they, they feel like they can have two personalities that they come to church and it's God bless you and <clears throat> great sermon pastor and you know all of this but then while they're out in their normal day to day life they live as if you know there's no separation between them and the world and unfortunately those are the ones that love to tell people where they go to church and you know unfortunately people will look at it and say oh my gosh did you know so and so goes to that church and you almost wish that people would just say, yeah, just kind of be quiet, you know, because it, it puts a bad connotation on the pastor in the church because those people who live, you know, so sinful uh, are the ones who seem to be the loudest about the churches that they go to. And they're not convicted by sin anymore. That's why they act however they want to act. They say whatever they want to say, and they're not bothered by it because the conviction because they've lived and dwelt among the sin for so long and not pushed it back, they have this sin that is just uh, non-convicting anymore. They're not listening to the Holy Spirit if they even have the Holy Spirit. See, that's the other thing, is there's times that some people, they're just not even saved, they're very religious. And they'll come to church because they think that's what you're supposed to do, that that's the good thing to do, that if I get a little bit of church and religion in my life, that I'll be okay. They don't realize that God has standards. And His standards are not just coming to church. His standards are surrender and submission, to deny yourself daily, pick up your cross and follow after Him, um, to no longer look like the world, but to constantly be pursuing Christ-likeness. So they no longer saw sin as sin anymore. The sin that was around them, the sin from these other nations, did not bother them anymore. Here's the second one, though. They married the daughters of the other nations or of these other gods. See, there's two major problems here. Number one is they didn't take the concept of marriage and family seriously. This is one thing that when I do marriage counseling, I try to make sure that I put out there immediately. If one person is saved and one person is not saved, I will very rarely marry them. And the reason being is because I want them to understand you're starting your marriage off in the absolute worst possible way. Because this is usually what happens. If you want to be, just kind of put it down to statistics, I would say like 90% of the time, the woman is the one who is saved and the man is not. And that woman really believes in her heart of hearts that because she's going to love her husband, 
that she is going to change him and he's going to get saved. And that very rarely ever happens. And so that's why I, I try to, if they come to me and say, I want you to marry me, I usually tell them, no, that, that you can find someone else. If both of you are unsaved, I will marry you. Or if both of you are Christians, I will marry you. And the reason why I say that is because the Bible says not to be unequally yoked. And what was happening here is you had the nation of Israel who was supposed to be following after Yahweh, after Jehovah God, that were marrying these women of these other nations who had false gods. And what was happening is the men of the nation of Israel would succumb to what the woman was desiring and they would begin worshiping these other gods. This is what happened with Solomon. You know, Solomon talks about how that he was building temples and he was building altars to all these other gods of these women he was marrying. And it got him to the point to where he wasn't even worshiping God anymore. And that's really what was taking place here. But the next thing is, is they weren't taking their family and marriage seriously. Because if they were, they would understand the importance and the need to have common ground. To understand that having a marriage to where you have a worship of two different gods is not going to bode well. Because how are you going to do this? How are you going to lead? How are you going to be able to minister to your family when you don't know whose God's in charge? You don't know who to pray to. You don't know whose standards to let lead your home. And again, you have the false gods, which are not gods at all, that the majority of their worship was nothing but sinfulness, which went completely against the worship of Jehovah God. So the marriage and family was completely what God had initially established for the marriage and family was shot down and destroyed because there was no way that you could do this with what was taking place. And then here's the third one. This led to the worship of the gods of the wives and worship of God was just optional along with the other gods. This reminds me of when I went to Africa and I was doing mission work in Africa. One of the things that I was blessed to be able to do was we went to a group of people that were unreached and unengaged and we were able to take the gospel to people for the very first time. And I remember that I was sitting down and I was talking with a few people and I was sharing Jesus with them. They had never heard of Jesus. And I was sharing Jesus with them and they just readily accepted him. And I was just sitting here it's like, man, this is, this is the easiest thing I've ever done. I just kind of spouted out the name Jesus and I told them about the gospel presentation of how, you know, Jesus paid their sin debt and died on the cross and they just readily accepted him. And what I found out is that they were just accepting him because they were adding him to their list of ancestors and gods. They believed in ancestralism. And so they just had this large quantity of people that they prayed to and they just added Jesus to that. And to them, Jesus was just another option. And I was trying to explain to him, I said, no, Jesus isn't an option. Jesus is the only option. Jesus is the only salvation. And they couldn't wrap their minds around that. 
That's what was taking place here. For the nation of Israel, they had been amongst this sin for so much, and they had been around this sin for so much, that for them, by giving in to these other gods and giving in to marrying these other um, people, what had happened is Jesus just became another option. And what they would do is they would utilize the worship of these other gods until I guess that you could say that the other gods never came through because of course they aren't gods and then they would turn to Jesus and see all of this happened due to a lack of discipleship and genuine worship of God this is the same thing that's taking place in our churches today and in our country today we don't see sin as sin anymore there are more churches that look like the world than ever before. There are more churches that are trying to be um, relatable than they are preaching the gospel. There are more pastors that worry about their fashion statement on Sunday morning than they really do about their sermon prep. There are more people that worry about how their church looks um, based on what the church is, is preaching and how the church is serving. And what I mean by that is is we worry more about drawing the crowds than we do about building, discipling, and making Christians. And just because you have a crowd doesn't mean that you're a Bible-believing church. You can have a full parking lot and have no gospel being preached. That's why so many of these churches that preach the, the health and wealth are so full and so many people want to be part of them and that's because of the fact that it's an easy gospel. You don't have to deny yourself, pick up your cross, and follow after God. God wants to just give you everything. God doesn't want any hardships to ever come in your life. God just wants to overly bless you all the time. Uh, yes, God does want to bless you, but that's not what you find scripturally. I think one of the best verses that completely debunk all of the health and wealth gospel is Philippians 1.29 when it says that God's not only given us the privilege to believe in Him, but also to suffer for Him. You know, it's a privilege to suffer for Jesus. But you're not going to hear that sermon from the pulpit very often because that's not one that gets you some amens. That's not one to where people's like, man, if you go down to, you know, fill in the blank Baptist church, they're preaching, you get to suffer for Jesus. That's where you want to go listen. No, that's, that's not at all it. Because we don't like that kind of gospel. We don't like that kind of Bible preaching. We don't like that kind of mentality of, I've got to surrender, and me surrendering to Jesus does bring suffering because it means I've got to get rid of, of more of myself in order for Jesus to fill me. And that, that can't happen whenever we've become complacent and naive to sin, when sin doesn't matter to us anymore, when we're not convicted by sin anymore. These things are significant, and, and we've got to understand that. So I pray that this has really challenged your heart today and made you kind of look and see what your heart is really, you know, how your heart is aligning with the gospel and with sin. And are you recognizing that you don't feel maybe as, as convicted as you should? You know, these are some red flags that should cause you to say, you know what, God, I, I need you to, to really move in my heart and be able to help me and be able to um, guide me and, and allow me to be able to understand the areas where I've got complacent and allow yourself to, to get back on track. Maybe you've never been saved and maybe, you know, you're starting to realize, Hey, I need 
to, to accept Jesus as my Lord and Savior, I, I encourage you to know that Jesus loved you enough to die on the cross for your sins. Uh, he paid your sin debt uh, because you couldn't. And he offers the gift of salvation for free for those who repent and ask Jesus to be Lord of their life. I encourage you to contact me or any other Bible-believing Christian to talk to him about what it means to be saved. Um, I also encourage you to go out and share your story today, whatever that, uh, whoever that may be with and, and whatever that story may be about how you come to know Jesus or what Jesus is doing in your life right now. I also ask if this podcast has been a blessing to you to whatever platform you're listening to, to go give it a five-star rating to help it get out there a little more and write a review on it and talk about how that maybe it's been a blessing and encouragement and a challenge to you to help it to get out there, share the podcast with people, um, and allow it to uh, be able to affect more lives. I pray that you have a blessed week. We look forward to getting back into the book of Judges chapter 3, starting in verse 7 next week, and uh, we'll be praying that God will uh, deepen us in our walk with Him and pray that you have a wonderful, blessed day.